0: With me. This isn't so much of a message. This is kind of a a little story hour this morning. It's a little message weaved in. I think a, a lot of people are interested to see Jack's back. What's he gonna be like? So he still cries. It's just good to be alive. It's exciting to be alive. So, anyway, you know, we're here today celebrating probably the most significant day on the church calendar we're celebrating the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead as the apostle Paul says in first Corinthians if Jesus does not raise from the dead our preaching is useless and our faith is useless do you realize if that Jesus did not raise from the dead we would not be here today there would be no church there would be no followers of Jesus Christ none of it all of it would be null and void but the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the fact that it validates our faith. And it validates that the word of God is true. It validates the fact that Jesus was resurrected and we have someone to follow. So I think each and every Resurrection Sunday calls for us to reflect and say, how do we respond to the resurrection of Jesus? I think it's a good question for us to ask, like, how do we respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Because when you read the biblical accounts of the resurrection, you discover that all of Jesus' earlier followers all had a different reaction to Jesus being raised from the dead. And to be quite honest, I think we're a little surprised by the way his disciples responded to his death. That's one of the reasons why I appreciate the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Because they give us an honest look at how the disciples reacted to Jesus' death. You know, the Gospels tell us that his disciples were grieving, that they were weeping. And surprisingly, in the passage that Lori read to us, it says three times that the disciples did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's not how you would expect his disciples to respond, from, to, respond to Jesus dying on the cross. Because in Matthew 16, verse 21, it very clearly says... That Jesus told his disciples that he would die, but that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. You would think that his disciples had spent three years with Jesus, that they had trust in Jesus, that after Jesus died on the cross, that they would have been sitting back in great anticipation saying, I wonder how he's going to rise from the dead. I wonder what this is going to look like. I wonder if it's going to happen in the morning or in the evening. I wonder how people are going to respond. I think they would have great curiosity. What's going to happen? But instead, we read that the disciples thought, he's dead. It's over. It's done with. They didn't really believe that Jesus would rise again from the dead. They acted as if Jesus' words were null and void. They acted as if they've never heard the words of Jesus before. The truth is, it's easy for all of us to be like the disciples and forget the words of Jesus. It's easy for all of us to be like the disciples when we struggle with fear and doubt and grief and hopelessness and defeat. It's easy for us to look at the Bible after we become discouraged and to discount the words in the Bible and act as if they're not true. That's why we have to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday. Because the resurrection is a reminder that the message of Jesus anticipates that we're going to doubt from time to time the resurrection of Jesus anticipates that each of us will need a personal encounter from Jesus because we'll all experience doubt see the resurrection doesn't just stop with Jesus coming back to life that's just the beginning that's just the beginning the resurrection of Jesus includes a supernatural encounter by Jesus for each one of us the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that it, no matter what you are facing, Jesus is going to visit you with a personal encounter because he wants to take away your grief and your doubt and your discouragement and your hopelessness. See, I love how the John ends this chapter on the revelation, on, on the res, resurrection. In John 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life by the power of his name. John tells us the purpose for the story of the resurrection. He says the story of the resurrection is to help us to believe, but it's also designed to give us life. But this isn't any life. This isn't any life that the life you had before Jesus continues as no, as normal after Jesus. Instead, the author uses the word zoe. Zoe refers to a new spiritual life that only God can give to you. That's what the resurrection's about. It's about a new life that God gives to us, and this zoe life is supernatural. It's dynamic, it's vigorous. See, the resurrection of Jesus isn't just about Not going to hell. The resurrection of Jesus is also about beginning to experience what heaven has to offer us while we're living on this earth. See, Easter is this annual reminder and this annual invitation that we can experience a supernatural life right now while we're on earth. That we, as followers of Jesus, can start to experience heaven while we are still on earth. But let's be honest. The resurrection of Jesus is sometimes very hard to understand. And it's hard to understand because it's supernatural. There's no way or uh, logical way that you can explain the resurrection of Jesus. It is purely supernatural. And that's why the angel had to come and roll away the stone. If the stone was still left over the tomb, the disciples would have continued to believe that Jesus was dead and gone. But the angel came and rolled away the stone so the disciples could look inside and say, Jesus is no longer there. That stone had to be rolled away in order for the disciples to begin to have a resurrection faith that maybe Jesus is alive. And as they looked in that tomb, they began to ask themselves the question, where is he? Where is Jesus? See, a lot of us ask that same question. Where is Jesus? Where is he right now? See, sometimes it's easy to forget the words of Jesus. It's easy to forget where he is. It's even pretty easy when you're a 56-year-old pastor. As you know, about a month ago, I came home from the hospital after being there for about 42 days, As many of you know that there were many times that we wondered if I would get out of the hospital. I wasn't doing well. And I was in the hospital, and some of you know my kidneys were failing. I was on constant dialysis. My heart was kind of failing. My liver was failing. But I recovered. Amen. Amen. she's excited. Many people refer to my recovery as a miracle, and I truly believe it was. There was not a real logical reason why I'm alive today. There definitely was a lot of medicine, there's a lot of surgeries, there's a lot of therapies, and there's scars, but there definitely was supernatural help from God. So by the time I left the hospital, I was very well aware that my story was pretty miraculous. I mean, I heard it from my family, but I heard it from my doctors. I heard it from the nurses. Like, wow, this is kind of amazing what you've been through and that you're still alive today. And so I was excited that, you know, God had saved me, that God had healed me, and that I had a good story of of comeback. But I'll tell you, I was a little disappointed that I did not get a ride in a helicopter from Holland Hospital to Blodgett Hospital. I'll I'll rabbit trail a little bit and tell you the story. So some of you know I was in Holland Hospital for the first week of my uh, illness, and I had my first surgery at Holland Hospital. And I woke up in ICU, and I wasn't doing very well for that first week. So Holland Hospital decided they had to get me over to Blodgett Hospital if I was going to have any chance of survival. So the plan was that I would go by helicopter. Now, when I was in ICU, I didn't interact. I didn't really communicate very well. I was pretty much out of it. But I could hear a lot going on. I could hear Becky. I could hear my sister. I could hear my sister-in-law. I could hear my mother-in-law. I could hear my nieces. But I couldn't respond. I didn't have the strength or the energy to talk back. That was hard. But I remember when they came in and they are talking about transporting me from Holland to Grand Rapids. And they talked about this helicopter. I was like, that's kind of cool. I get a ride in a helicopter. I've never done that before. But this is where a little bit of my uh, hospital delirium kind of interjected into my story. When they're talking about a helicopter, in my drug mind, I, I substituted the AeroMed helicopter, you know, the fancy helicopter ambulance that actually lands on the hospital and they bring you in the, in the helicopter by stretcher with medical team. I, I substituted that experience for a Coast Guard helicopter. For some reason in my mind I anticipated that a Coast Guard helicopter would come flying over Holland Hospital and drop one of those cables 100 feet. And then I would be in a big orange basket And they would hook that up to the basket. And they would just carry me 100 feet below the helicopter from Holland to East Grand Rapids. And I remember in ICU thinking, I wonder how I'll stay warm. (laughs) I wasn't worried about dangling from a helicopter 30 miles. I kept thinking, I wonder what kind of sleeping bag I'll get. I thought, I wonder if I'll get a Patagonia or if I'll get a North Face. And I was just very curious the whole time. So when I found out that a helicopter ride got canceled because of the weather, I was a little bit relieved because I was kind of worried about getting cold. But nevertheless, I did find my way to Blodgett Hospital where I spent the next five weeks and two more surgeries getting better. And so when I left the hospital, I was very excited. I knew that God had healed me. I knew that I had been restored. I knew my story was miraculous. I was excited to go home. I was excited to eat non-hospital food. And I thought for sure Becky was going to take me to Yesterdog on the way home. Because Blodgett is about a mile away from Yesterdog. And literally, when I got out of ICU, I craved a Yesterdog. Becky would not bring me to Yesterdog, and she still will not let me eat a hot dog. But I was surprised when I got in the car. I thought I'd be happy and excited. Instead, the nurse got me in the car and shut the door, and I immediately started to cry. Not happy tears. Not happy tears like, yeah, I'm going home. I was crying tears of sadness and lament. I had tears of grief and doubt and hopelessness and sadness. And I was surprised. I'm like, Jack, why are you sobbing? Becky couldn't even leave the parking lot for 10, 15 minutes. I just cried. Surprise! (laughs) And I sat there and cried because I had gone through so much. Yes, I had this great story of recovery. But being in the hospital, that's, that's a little challenging as well. I had the same question that the disciples had when they looked in the tomb. The question of where was Jesus. See, I knew that God had healed me, but through the course of my hospital stay, I suffered a lot from what's called hospital delirium. Basically, I hallucinated nonstop. From the time I was in ICU to basically the last day there, I had a lot of hallucinations. Usually at night, I would think I was in Target or I was in Walmart. I don't know how I ended up in Walmart in Colorado Springs, but I did a few times. I would go, it's kind of the end of the day, and the nurses would say, okay, it's nighttime, you are gonna go to bed. And immediately my room would, I could watch the walls flip in my room, and I would no longer be in my hospital room. I'd be in the center of Target in a bed. And everybody would walk by with their grocery carts, and there I'm laying in bed. People didn't see me. Sometimes I would be in Amway Grand Plaza Hotel. I'd be at the Monroe Cafe. Sometimes people would come to visit me in my room and they'd say, you have such a beautiful room, look at the view of Fisk Lake. And I'd be like, I'm not looking at Fisk Lake, I'm looking at Monroe Avenue and I'm watching the horses walk down the street right now. I had a lot of delirium, I had a lot of confusion, I had a lot of fear and doubt. Now fortunately, my sister is here, she coordinated that I would have somebody with me, non-hospital, 24-7, so that was good. And many of you came and were with me. So my sister plugged people into a schedule, my nieces were there, my family and my brother. And that was very special to me. But like I said, it was hard because people would visit me when I was in ICU and I could hear their voices, but I couldn't respond. And at times my pain would get so hard and so difficult, I wondered, how am I going to hang in there? And when I got home from the hospital, I began to reflect on everything that I'd been through. And on one hand, like I said, I was excited that I, I I was home and alive, but I wondered, where was Jesus during these times when I was so scared? And I had so much fear and I had so much anxiety and I had so much confusion. Where was he during these times? And I wondered then as I got home and I would think about where he was, then I would get scared of thinking, what if I get sick again? What if I'm going to need another surgery? What if they take more of my intestines away? What's it going to be like? What if I wake up, when I, what, what, what am I going to do? I'd go to bed every night, worried Would I wake up in the morning. See, like the disciples, I forgot the words of Jesus. I forgot Psalm 118 that says, the Lord is for me. So what do I have to fear? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. Or in Hebrews 3, 5, it says, For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. But I forgot that. And I forgot the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 that says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the ages. See, it's easy for us to forget the words of Jesus. It's easy for us to forget the comfort he offers us. But what does Jesus do to people that forget his words? See, Jesus visits people that forget his words with compassion and supernatural power. See, Jesus comes to people again and again with the truth. See, earlier we read the passage of Mark. Laurie read the passage of Mark about Jesus' resurrection. And it's interesting in the passage, the angel says to Mary, it says, go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is raised from the dead. And it says, go and tell the other disciples, including Peter, and you wonder why is Peter singled out? Why does Peter get a? You know, make sure you tell Peter. See, some of you know the story that prior to Jesus being arrested, Jesus said to Peter, "said Peter, you're going to deny me three times." And Peter said, "No way! Am I going to deny you? I'll never do it." But what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. And we know that after Peter denied Jesus, he felt really bad about it. But Peter is the guy in the Bible that represents a follower of Jesus who sometimes makes the same mistake over and over and over again. Peter represents the people who fail to listen to the words of Jesus. See, Jesus told Peter what would happen, and Peter didn't believe it would happen. So Jesus says, I want to make sure that Peter knows that he's not excluded from the resurrection. So, Mary, when you tell the disciples that I've rose from the dead, you make sure you tell Peter. See, Jesus always shows compassion and kindness to people that forget to take his word seriously. And what does Jesus do when he bumps into Peter? He makes him breakfast. He has breakfast with Peter on the beach and he leads Peter to restoration. And even before Jesus corrects Peter, what does he do? He helps Peter catch some fish. See, Jesus knew that he had to meet a need that Peter had. Jesus' primary concern isn't rebuking us or correcting us or yelling at us. His concern with us is to make sure that we understand the truth. See, the Bible tells us it's that the kindness of Jesus leads us to repentance. So where was Jesus when I felt alone and I felt scared in the hospital? Where was he? when I struggled so much in the night. So I love this story from Matthew 14, verse 22. It's the story of Peter walking on water. The story means a lot to me for many reasons. But primarily the reason is my niece is here and her husband, Spencer's here. And about three years ago, Spencer was diagnosed with colon cancer. And he had many of the same, we have some similar surgeries that we had. And when he was sick, we, we talked about this verse a lot, that Jesus would give them the faith to walk on water. And Spencer is pretty much cancer-free. He's kind of a great miracle of restoration that Jesus has done in his life. Spencer and Kirsten are kind of colon cancer spokespeople and and they're awesome people and it was just wonderful to have them go through my surgeries three years before because I can't tell you how many times I call them up and say, what's going on without my colon? What can I eat, what can I eat? And they have been wonderful to me. But I love this story from Matthew 14 about Peter walking on water. Let me read you the context of this verse. It says, Immediately after this, what just happened is Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Immediately after Jesus fed everybody all that food, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus came towards them, walking on water. See, it's easy to read this story. Excuse me. Thank you, Greg, for a little setup here. See, it's easy to look at the story and you wonder to yourself. You say, Jesus, what? Why did you let them get in that boat? You didn't get in that boat, and per, you probably Jesus probably knew a storm was brewing out there. So, Jesus, why did you let them go into the storm, but you didn't go in the boat with them? It's a little bit kind of easy to get a little cynical and think, Jesus, that's that's, that's that wasn't very nice of you. But let me tell you, I think that every single detail of that boat ride was strategically planned by God. Every detail was planned, and that was a very strategic day for the disciples. See, verse 22 tells us where was Jesus while the disciples were on the boat. It says that Jesus went to the mountains and he was praying. So while the disciples are in the boat in the storm, Jesus is praying. And who is Jesus praying for that day? See, Hebrews 7, verse 25 tells us, it says, Therefore Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is always praying for you and for me, constantly. You wonder where Jesus is at? I can tell you, according to the book of Hebrews, he's praying for you somewhere. You might not think he's in the boat with you in the storm, but he is praying for you. But the most powerful part of this whole story is verse 32. Verse 32 says, when they climbed back into the boat, referring to Peter, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped Jesus and said, you really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Do you see what just happened there? There was a strategic purpose to the wind in the storm the wind positioned the disciples to have a greater revelation of who Jesus is see the disciples got into the boat and they said to Jesus you really are the son of God see that was the purpose of the storm to help the disciples understand that Jesus is the son of the God because when you think about it six hours earlier the disciples were with Jesus They watched Jesus feed 5,000 men, which probably, if you included women and children, there's probably 20,000 people there. They watched Jesus feed 25,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and he had leftovers. That is a miracle. You would think the disciples would stand back and say, did you just see what this man did? He fed all these people with five loaves of bread and two fish. You truly are the Son of God. But nobody said that. The disciples never said to Jesus, you truly are the Son of God after he did that miracle. It wasn't until after Jesus rescued them from the storm that they realized that Jesus was the Son of God. Sometimes we have to go through a storm in order to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. Sometimes we can doubt miracles when we see them. But sometimes when you see Jesus rescue you, you're like the disciples and you know that Jesus is the Son of God. I often wonder what part of the story did the disciples tell their friends after they got home that day. Did they tell their friends, hey, wow, we were on this boat ride, we almost died, and oh, then later on the storm died down and we're okay. Or did they tell their friends that Jesus came to them while they are on their boat? Do they just talk about the winds and the waves or do they talk about Jesus? See, a friend of mine, Greg Cole, says, our joy is often determined by what parts of your story you are telling. What parts of your story do you tell other people? Do you tell them about the wind and the waves or do you tell them about Jesus rescuing you? See, it'd be easy for me to stand up here and only talk about my surgeries, about the pain and the discomfort, I could go on and on and tell you people how blessed you are to actually have your colon. Don't ever take that for granted. It's very valuable, your colon. I can tell you I miss mine. But if I only talked about my surgeries and my pain and my discomfort, I wouldn't be telling you the best part of my story. See, there's part of my story that none of you have heard yet. See, on January 11th, that was my first surgery. That was my knee surgery. That was supposed to be easy-peasy outpatient surgery, get the surgery, go home the same day, and I did. I, was, I did well, did physical therapy twice, and then about a week later, I thought I had the flu, but I had a little E. coli and a little septic shock to my body, and... As you know, I ended up in Holland Hospital, and, which began my uh, 42 days of hospital stays and 12 days in ICU. But what's interesting is that a couple hours before I had my knee surgery, I got up early in the morning, which I normally do, and I journal every morning. I write down my thoughts, and I write down scripture I'm reading, and I usually write down some of my prayers and my big prayer requests, because I like to track them. And that morning, I made two entries into my journal. The first thing I wrote is that I've been waiting for this day. My knee was painful, so I was kind of excited for surgery. I'm waiting for this day. I'm excited and nervous at the same time. I'm ready to withdraw and spend some time with Jesus during my recovery. Now, granted, I anticipated that would be a two-week recovery at home. In the second entry that I wrote, I wrote Acts 4, verse 13. This was my prayer request for my two weeks of recovery, my short little two weeks. Acts 4, verse 13 says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. See, that was my prayer request going into surgery that I would have the boldness of Peter and John. That when people looked at me, they would say, wow, you've been with Jesus. Little did I know that Jesus was going to take that prayer request really, really serious. Also, the day before my surgery, I wrote down a quote. That was also my prayer request. There's a quote from a pastor, Tyler Statton, that says, the powerfully healed become powerful healers. I prayed that God would use me in a way to bring healing to other people, that through my recovery that I would have a greater ability or capacity or anointing to bring healing to other people. And on the same day, I wrote in my journal that I was excited for my surgery and recovery because I anticipated that I would come out of my recovery with a new perspective on life and ministry. And I look at these three big prayer requests that I had in my journal before my surgery, and I can strategically see how Jesus had answered every one of them. See, Jesus had never left me. Instead, he was bringing me the things that I needed and the things that I had asked for. I didn't quite expect 40 days in the hospital. But Jesus brought me what I needed, not what I wanted. As you heard Becky say last week. See, in John 9, there's a beautiful story that Becky referred to last week about a man that was born blind. And Jesus healed him. But his disciples and everybody want to know who to blame. Why was this man blind? Did this man sin? Did his parents sin? Did he do something wrong? And Jesus says in John 9, verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. This man lived his entire life begging on the streets. And back in that day, a lot of people thought, man, what did that man do wrong that he ended up being blind for his entire life? And a lot of times it's easy to, when you get in situations like that, to keep asking, why? Why did this happen? Why did it happen? Why did it take so long? Why didn't Jesus heal me earlier? Why did I have to go through 42 days? And I love the message translation of John 9, verse 3. It says, and Jesus said, you're asking the wrong questions. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no cause and effect here. Look instead what God can do. Every one of us has gone through hard things in our life. Every one of us has gone through storms. Some of you are going through a storm. And it's so easy to perseverate on asking the question of why. Why did this happen? Why is this continuing? Why do I have to live my life this way? And I think on a Resurrection Sunday, it's good to remind us that there's always purpose in the pain that we're going through. That so often the pain that we experience is to give us a deeper revelation of who is Jesus. So often the pain and the storms in our life are never going to be wasted. But that God is going to use them. Somebody's going to benefit from your pain. Somebody's going to benefit from your discomfort. Somebody's going to benefit from your story of restoration. I hated the fact that Spencer and Kirsten had to go through what they did but I benefited I benefited from them a lot the last few months to have people I can go to and say what do I do people I can lament with that wasn't easy for them but I'm benefiting from what they went through and hopefully other people will benefit from what I'm going through I can honestly say I think when I look back at my life that those 42 days in the hospital will probably be the best 42 days of my life because i probably learned more in the hospital and afterwards reflecting on it than I probably learned my 56 years before. God does something remarkable in our storms. But we have to stop asking why. We have to remember that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside of each of us. We carry restoration. We carry resurrection power that other people need. I said to you that I believe that when I I left the hospital that I journaled, that I said I think I'll leave my time of recovery with a new output. A new perspective on ministry and I have I think I believe more now than I ever have before that people need a personal encounter with Jesus that sometimes we focus so much on knowledge and that's good knowledge is good and study is good but we need encounters we need breakfast on the beach with Jesus We need to see empty tombs. We need to see angels roll away tombs. Some of us, we need stones moved away of things in our life so that we can see clearly where Jesus is at. Some of us need to be expecting supernatural encounters with God because all through the Bible, it's encounter after encounter that people have with Jesus. See, the resurrection reminds us that the Resurrection Sunday isn't just a historical event, but it's an active event that happens daily in the life of the believers because we are called to live a resurrection life. We are called to live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And I hope today that you can look back on some of the storms that you've experienced in your life and you can say, what is the purpose of that storm? And how is God going to use that to benefit other people? How can the pain and the discomfort in my life be used to bring a healing balm to somebody else? How can the discomfort that you've experienced be used to bring wholeness to other people? That's what God wants to do in us and through us. So today we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate the fact that the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was pierced for our rebellion that he was crushed for our sins and that he was beaten so we could be whole and that he was whipped so we could be healed. We have the ability to be healed because Jesus took the pain and the burdens for us. So we're going to do communion a little different today. Becky's going to come up and join me here, and um, she's going to hold the uh, matzo bread today, Passover. We got matzo. So we have matzo bread, then we also have some gluten-free. It's in a little plastic baggie, so if you need gluten-free, take the little baggie. And then I have grape juice that we're going to celebrate communion. We'll stand here. The worship team is going to come through first. They can take the elements, and then they're going to come up. And while they're leading us in a song, you guys can all come through. So they will sing while you guys come through. But let's celebrate communion today. And let's celebrate and ask the Lord today what stone needs to be rolled away in your life so you can have a better perspective of who Jesus is and where Jesus is at. And let's ask the Lord today to use your pain or your discomfort to bless somebody else. Because my prayer is that we leave here today encouraged and strengthened. That we leave here today recognizing that we as followers of Jesus live with resurrection power in us. That Jesus is raised from the dead, but you and I are also raised from the dead. That we live in this new Zoe abundant life that we can start to experience what heaven has to offer us right now.